This episode of the Multi-Hypho podcast has been recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Hey Candy. Hey. Wow. Wow. It is... It is the end of 2020. Inhale. Dang, it's been a big year and there has been so much loss, so much love and the possibility, the opportunity to shift is greater than it's ever been. What are you going to do about it? What are we all going to do about it? Are we going to shift? Are we going to double down? Are we going to respond with change? Or are we going to snap back? Here's hoping we've opened a portal to something incredible. Is hoping we change, right? I think I'm arriving at a solution, Candy. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Um, but one of my current sayings is life is long. Mm. I, because I'm just realising it. You know, when I started at Channel V, I thought that, that this was going to be the pinnacle of my life. You yeah. know, that there was no better than this. And I, my, I remember making a pact with myself sort of on day one, really, when they said, you've got the job was swearing <laughs> to hold on to that job for as long as I could and basically get fired, like just yeah. do it for as long until I had to pry it out of my hands. <laughs> um, and then I thought that's, you know, what could possibly be better than that job? Mm. And, and the thing is that you do find the next thing and life is long and it wouldn't be appropriate for me to be doing that job now. Mm. Um, and I've found other things that are, that are equally thrilling and cool yeah. to me. To me. I want to talk to people from multiple identities, multiracial, multisexual, multi-creative folks, people who don't fit neatly into boxes or have to tick multiple boxes or have to make new boxes of their own. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Multi-hyphenates, multi-hyphos. Yumi Stein started as a music reporter on the dedicated Foxtel channel, Channel V, in the year 2000. Her hypho hovers in the gaps between TV presenting, broadcasting, arts journalism and writing. In 2021, she'll have two books out, continue hosting her daily national radio show, The 3pm Pickup, and presenting her podcast, Ladies, We Need to Talk, on the ABC. So good to see you, actually. I know. <laughs> I have touchstones in the industry that I just need to put my hand on, like just need to bask in them <laughs> here and there in my life, like through, oh, my God, I'm dying here. I need to find them, you know, and you're one yeah. of my touchstones, definitely. Good. Yeah. That sounds right. That sounds positive. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that I, sounds I positive. We, we did keep in touch a bit 
just loosely yeah. during this whole shit show year. Mm, mm. Yeah, there's so many things I want to get to with you, but I, I think, you know, for me, a lot of people ask me, oh, how do you, you know, what, what are some of the turning points in your career or, you know, what would you put your finger on to say, hey, that was a really important moment. And I remember doing a Women of Letters with you. Uh, were we at the Thornbury Theatre or where were we? Goodness, yeah. yeah. A few yeah. years ago now. And just that moment, it's so, it's so interesting when women organise these things and you're on panels with women. Uh, and it was a really important moment for me meeting you, I think, you know, and, and having that connection and realising who we were and who we are to each other in a way, being in this strange, strange industry. I dip in and out of the mainstream <laughs> and you're there, you know, so constantly and so consistently that it kind of takes my breath away at times how much you can endure, to be honest. I'm so glad you mentioned that um, the first time that we met in person because I was reflecting on that as well and what a moment mm. that was for me. We were sitting at a, a table that was on a, on a stage and I remember looking across at this woman and, <laughs> and just sort of I had lots of opportunities to just stare at you. <laughs> You probably don't get in real life, like in a social situation, because you were doing your speech and then people were yeah. asking questions. So I could look over at you and I was like, this chick is cool. And I had the sense that our destinies were intertwined and that we were going to somehow work together in the future. And to be honest, it hasn't actually really happened yet, but that life is long. So yes. Yes. I keep looking for, for ways in which to fulfill that destiny that I sense yeah. that day. And I think yeah. even just that idea is cool because women, especially, you know, that was like nearly 10 years ago, mm. we, we get a growing sense of how we can actually be in control of that. Like, oh, this is yes. cool I want to work with. How can I actually make that happen? What steps do I need to take? And we start harnessing our own power. And when we figure that stuff out, that's when it gets really, really interesting. I'm looking out into that pretty damn white, you know, media and TV landscape to see you on shows in music presenting across the board was just like, it's like survival or something when you see someone like you finally, you know, uh, and, and then I think everybody in, in my community, you know, women of colour mainly in my community, we're just always like trying to see, you know, we're always trying to see each other. And and it was like, oh, thank God, Yumi is on TV, really, you know. Uh, sometimes it felt like then you, there was a baton that passed and then the next woman of colour was allowed to be in that mix. And then oh, the, really? And, and funny for us because in, you know, in an Australian setting, that means you could be Asian or black or Indigenous but still only one. Like, yeah. <laughs> not even like the Asian trope or the South Asian trope or the black trope. No, no, just the one person of colour is the trope for everything. So crazy. And and for you, that journey through, was it um, was it strange being out there on your own or were you just like, I'm, this, is, this, this is like second nature to me, it makes complete sense I'm here, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. So at Channel B, there were Asian women and um, and black women. Leah Purcell trailblazed yeah. at Channel B before my time, so I didn't get to work with mm. her, but she 
definitely left a mark. Um, a, a woman, a Brisbane woman called Kyla Levy was hosting mm. some, um, the R&B hip hop show when I first started. And Mary Daytok, who's Filipino Australian, uh, was doing the dance music show as well. So, and she was yeah. behind quite powerful as well. So it felt like it was actually pretty inclusive. Um, mm. I joined later as did Denny Hines. Um, yes. So that there was just one actually, but I think, yeah. but I know what you mean is like, um, not that we're interchangeable, but just that you've, you've ticked that box. Mm. So we don't need, we don't need any more of you. We don't want to overwhelm people with too many <laughs> women who are yeah. white. Can be scary. But I think, I mean, I do reflect on that time in, in, in ways that I could have been better and, and the way that a lot of my music fandom started off very much very white-centric, very mm. much about proximity to whiteness, even misogynistic like in the way that I loved those skinny white boy rock bands, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and music that now I'm, I'm like, why would, why do I like it? It's horrible. Yeah. But it was really very much, you know, I think you, you never stop unpacking um, yeah. really. Uh, and, and I like, so I might cringe a little bit at how I could have been better, uh, mm. but I also probably will look at myself now in 20 years and go, mm. well, you could have been a lot better then yeah. as well. So I could just keep getting better. It's, it's an interesting notion to think that we like what we're served. We like what we're given. And then... There's that point where you go, oh, what if I just open this packet? <laughs> like, what are these packets over here? How come these packets aren't on my table? Yeah. And, and that's what I think that is striking about these new kids coming up. They just have all all the stores are there, all the packets, all the foods. And, and you know, I, I was saying to Sam Gaskin, actually, who would we be if we grew up watching Dear White People and... Um, you know, Michaela Cole and um, we, we had all of this stuff. Like, and, and even in the music industry, I get so excited when I look out and see how diverse the music industry is now. Hip-hop, right? Like for some mm. of the great to be winning Best Rap Album and stuff, this is so big, so different to what we were growing up and who we were. I mean, I was on the bus for the Channel V, you know, Hilltop Hood stuff, and it was so weird um, just to not see black people in the hip-hop industry. I know. Well, I was a VJ when Eminem was the biggest artist in the world. So to tell me about it. I lived it, man. I know about it. Yeah. It is about, like, a lot of that stuff was about proximity to whiteness and Eminem was, like, the Elvis of his generation. You know, he was doing yes. exactly what it, what the trailblazers of colour had done before, but he was mm. just this palatable package that, that parents could stand to buy for their kids. And mm. I guess, you know, people could understand his accents. I don't know. But, mm. but yeah, it's all, a, it's all a bit of a process what we what we lived. <laughs> but yeah. I reckon the kids today, I mean, I think I think it's still there. I think there's still a lot of white supremacy in mm. the entertainment industry. It's just more um, buried in the upper echelons of power. Yes. That hasn't changed. You know, the kids are still white men who mm. are middle-aged or older. The, those are the gatekeepers still. So the people fronting might look a bit different, but the power remains the people that always had the power. Yeah, that's so interesting. I've been talking a lot about cosmetic surgery and the performance of allyship um, across the arts and in my spaces, which is mainly multi-arts on stage. It is 
so like woke washing, like all through the Black Lives Matter movement, people performing like they care, but then what comes next? What's the action once you say, I, you know, I believe in this? Mm. What, what happens next? What's the real action behind it? And for you personally, <laughs> I feel like that's become more and more, um, it's like you can't not talk about it. Like there was a time where I guess, I even think about my, my sisters who were in bands and I'd never clocked like or thought, oh, my sisters are some of the only women of colour in the grunge scene. Later I went, oh, that's really hard because aesthetically everything, you know, we look so different. And that, that must have been really hard for them in that era. We didn't talk about it, though. We, weren't, we didn't overtly talk about it. It wasn't out there. But I feel like now it's critically out there. You can't get away from that. And how do you feel having been involved in some of those really tough, controversial things with Because I'm often like, oh, my God, Yumi's in mainstream. I've got to check how, how she's going, you know. <laughs> it's, it's intense out there, you know. And you're there actually speaking up. And I think every young person of colour, I said, oh, Yumi's probably going to be a guest. They're, they're just, their minds explode because they're like, Yumi Steins is a superstar. Did you see her go with Carrie Ann Kennelly? Like, you know, for them, those are the moments that they um, live for. But do you right. have any concept of that while it's happening or are you just like, oh, fuck, here we go. I have to deal with this. Here thing. we go. Yeah, I do. Kennedy, I think like, I honestly think if you are even just a little bit woke in this country, just by existing, you start to become radicalised. Mm -hmm. Your thinking starts to get more militant and you really do start to feel angry yeah. a lot of the time. And it's hard not to, it's really hard to um, be what people need you to be as an entertainer sometimes. And, and an entertainer generally needs to be quite happy. Yeah. <laughs> so being angry all the time is not is not you doing a good job. Um, so the two things have to find a way to coexist because mm. it's real. And I think you have to allow it to be real. Something that really comforted me was um, reading a, a study of African-American kids in the US, the ones that were taught about systemic racism and allowed to learn in a school setting that it's real and it happens and it's unjust and unfair and it happens to you, those ones had better mental health outcomes than the ones who mm. had to pretend like this shit isn't happening. Yeah. And, and that comforted me to go, okay, so it's not necessarily that we're solving it, but at least we can air it and say this is real and more and more people who are allies are saying, yeah, this is real, this is actually happening we don't mm. necessarily know what the fix is but at least we're not denying to your face the experience of living in your skin mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think um being in the subject of controversies is really really hard mm. um and and in any situation where a woman is being criticized in the media it's often things that have nothing to do with her work with yeah. the fucking awesome work that she does, which is, mm. for me, I feel like I, I have got an immaculate track record for turning up on time, for doing the job, for being a, a really great co-worker to my friends, yeah. um, a, a, a great ally to the people who are 
doing the tech work uh, mm. and the grunt shit kicking, but no one cares about that. It's all mm. about like, oh, she looks fat or she's a bad mom or, you know, she she's not got the right friend or the, she's wearing the same dress twice. It's all <laughs> really superficial stuff that's it's so enraging to have it's that criticized. Yeah. It's enraging because it's really gendered. It never happens to men. Yes. And there's no way there's no way to kind of start the uh, well actually I look very good in that. Or what yeah. like yes. Yeah. And don't they try and drag you down to this really petty, trivial level of arguing about your own humanity and your your mm. permission to wear that or take your baby to a premiere in a nappy or whatever the fuck that has nothing to do with the work that you're doing. And when uh, the, the the big bit for me too is when you look at it and you see it and you begin to really understand what's happening quickly and you say, mm. hold on, you're being racist, and that's when, whoo, that's when they blow because they didn't even get to do their full case because you have to let them almost like bury themselves before you're allowed to say yes, yes, yes. Well, that's quite racist, but say if you cut them off in the first third of their rant or the first part of their bullshit, their fuckery, and you say, Actually, that's quite racist. Wow. The tears, the pain <laughs> of their lives, you know, and I think like it just it still gets me because I travel the world a lot and I just love being like um, at certain festivals and things where you've seen young people move through and, yeah, high consciousness talks and stuff. So you've got a kid that you meet who's 21 but have been going to like breaking conventions since they were 10 and they can speak to topics and speak about the masculinity in dance and racism and sex. And I just go, this is, this is what I want to help create this culture of discernment and critical thinking, but just love and coolness. You know, I think that's my book title, um, discernment, critical thinking, love and coolness. (laughs) Like seriously, it's, it's just so different. And the idea in Australia to go, if we focus on this, you know, um, it's a negative and it's so strange because you think, I think what you're saying is you'd prefer me to be invisible or you'd prefer me to be seen, not heard, or that I can't be my full self in this space. And that's so much, that's just so wrong. For women, life is even longer than it is for men, right? Because we all live about 10 years longer and we tend to keep our mental faculties Mm. for longer. We're very, um, I mean, this is, these are all generalizations, but we are very community minded. So what I'm hoping to see is the next couple of generations of women in which we sit, you and I both sit, mm. um, who have already had a, a life, who've done amazing cool shit, and then go, well, well for, the ne- for the next version of me, I'm going to enter official leadership mm. roles, mm. whether it be local, state, federal politics, it mm. be union leadership, it be starting to seek out roles on boards, mm. um, on in theatre companies, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, ways in which we can live our long lives and be productive and pour back into um, our communities the learning that we've accumulated Mm. over our long life, but also to be in that position where we've got two justifications. We've got um, one, I am going to bury my imposter syndrome that tells me I do not deserve a leadership position, which might take a little bit of, you know, mind gaming and also positive affirmations and all the stuff 
that yeah. you do. But I think that one thing you can do to combat your imposter syndrome is pour your fucking excellence into the work that you do now mm. so that you, you've earned it. You've earned the burial of your imposter syndrome. But two, I mean, and this is a huge comfort to me as well. The second thing that we can take is just look at the examples set to us by these mediocre fucking white men in every industry, including politics, who don't give a shit about us, who don't live in the real world, who are gliding around through life on a gilded privileged fucking jetpack. They don't touch the friction of waiting to go to hospital, of mm. not being able to get your kids in childcare, of having not enough money, of living on job seeker. Yeah. I just think that there's going to be mm. a groundswell of people who've ticked off those two boxes. They've been awesome yeah. and they've seen the shitty examples set by really, yeah. really fucked up. Yeah, men. yeah. Uh, they might not even be epically fucked up. They're just really average yeah, and really skating. Just skating on in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And to go, okay, well, life is long, so I've done my thing and I've done yeah. my other thing that I want to do and I've had some children and I'm actually mm. feeling quite energetic yeah. because at 50 or 60, we've still got heaps of personal yeah. power yeah. and energy. And so it, those women, I really hope mm. the doors start to open for them because God knows they've, they've tried to keep them shut to us for a long time. Yeah. But I think we're all starting to go, hmm, mm. I think I can see what you're doing here. You're trying to keep us out because we'll do a fucking great job. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I often talk to students about the internal revolution versus the external revolution and that you really have to understand there's two things going on here. Uh, I had this group of amazing year nines, uh, Matthew Flinders Secondary College, uh, really great school, pretty bogan, felt like the school I went to, rock and roll, like the kids were wild. I did a performance at the assembly and they literally just turned into animals and like ripped their hair out. And were, and then I was only teaching this one year nine class properly and these girls in year seven were like, what do you mean you're not teaching us? And they went to the principal, why aren't we getting this teacher too? And it's so amazing, those that sort of power. And I'm like, oh, I love them. And this group of, year, you know, year nines doing poetry, essentially, and really every second word they were putting themselves down. Oh, it's probably a bit shit, though. I mean, I thought of this thing, but it's probably shit. And I said to them, <laughs> it's like a week of transformation, I said, who do you hate the most? And at the time they were like, Donald Trump. <laughs> I thought that was so great. Donald Trump, right? And um, I said, okay, every time you put yourself down, Donald Trump grows a hair on his very balding head, okay? It's like an angel gets their wings. It's like a demon gets a hair, right? So you actually owning what you're doing, because they, they wrote such beautiful poetry. It was just like, I don't know what happened here. I don't know who these children are. Like amazing stuff. And and I always like to do a curriculum that's pretty much only women of colour. We study the poems and then, because the rest of their curriculum, they're start studying white men, the Peter Carey, whatever, till the cows come home. So by the end, but it wasn't just that they were writing, but they were actually saying, I want to define myself for myself. And um, I really believe in this poem. And I feel like, it's so interesting to me, even when I went out and I was doing early stuff, you know, Vox Pops and stuff for Channel V, just that the boys were like, yeah, talk to me, talk to me. And the girls were like, no, no, no. And I thought, what is this culture? 
you know, what are, what are we doing culturally? And I know you've got such amazing, you know, scholarship and books and things coming through for young women. How do you feel like we're, we're building up that generation and also having three daughters? Um, I think they're all daughters still. Uh, I always like to check, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> like how, how are you feeling about that experience of bringing up girls and, and supporting them to, to actually that level of confidence as well? Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting to watch because kids are almost indistinguishable before puberty. Mm. Like they look very similar, their interests are similar, um, and they don't give a shit about lots of things. And then puberty hits and suddenly everything gets really askew. And one of the key things that happens to girls is there's all this attention given to their appearances. And it's so it's really like being cut off at the knees mm-hmm. because you can't control it. You might be fat or thin or black or white. Uh, you want big boobs, but you've got little yeah, boobs yeah. or vice yes. versa. Suddenly you're bleeding um, and it's really um, impossible. And then they're bombarded with aspirations that are impossible to me. Mm. So... I think, like, there's a lot of things that you can do, but basically the dialogue never ends. And the worst thing is, you know, I do that podcast, Ladies, We Need to Talk, and we interview lots of women um, about lots of issues, but but often it's, you know, sexual health, your body or your mental health. And a lot of problems don't actually go away. That's what... I, I learnt, I didn't realise, but something like an eating disorder that you might have had at 16, you can still have at 60. Isn't that amazing? It's like I wanted, to, I wanted to think it would be fixed by then. One friend can make a world of difference. In a situation where your boundaries are being disrespected or you feel mocked, pressured or bullied, having someone stick up for you can turn everything around. It's backup that gives you the strength to say, actually, no thanks, I'm not putting up with this. Well, sometimes you need to be that friend for someone else. As you get older, you might still want that support of your peers, but you actually get better at hearing their voices when they're not around. You might hear a familiar voice in your mind that says, hang on, they shouldn't speak to you like that. And you know they're right. And that's enough to help you push back if you need to. You also get better and more confident at standing up for yourself on your own. Not everyone is lucky enough to have that one friend. You don't always get to choose the peer group around you when you're young. They're just the people you know at school or who live nearby. And they may have rotten attitudes to consent, to people who are different from them, to sex. They may bully you, try to silence you or mock you. If this is where you're at, we want to say, we see you. We can be your person. If you wish you had a clearer image of the line between right and wrong, listen out for our voices in your mind. Until you find your people, we can be the ones who stand behind you, who cheer you on, who give you the strength that you need to make the right choices. Trust that you will find your people as you get older. Maybe you haven't found them yet and that's okay, but you will and you will champion each other, look out for each other, and love each other. In the meantime, trust your instincts. Respect your body. Love and respect the bodies of others. And listen out for that little voice in your mind saying, 
You've got this. In power, in solidarity, from Yumi and Dr. Melissa. To kind of shore up my heart and protect myself from, from mortal blows, uh, I'm... It takes a while for you to figure it out, but, you know, my family is pretty strong mm. uh, and by my family I mean my partner and our kids and that kind of family unit, which you, you've seen yeah. in action. <laughs> it's just baggy and loving and just pretty, you know, pretty calm. I mean, my, your my partner is just a big goobal. He's just mush. He's like the mushiest daddy. I was like... <laughs> And I don't know who I thought you would have chosen, but I was like, I was really amazed at well, just a sweet, like, ball of love he is, you know? Yeah. It's, it, he's really, I was gonna, yeah, he's unique. He's <laughs> unique. He's <laughs> so cute. Because then the kids, the kids, the kids, there's so many kids, it feels like you've got four or five. Four. Four, yeah, because yeah, sometimes I feel like there are six, like they're the wild ones <laughs> as well. <laughs> Your second youngest, she's so wild and it's just gorgeous to see. So unique, each of so them. Are, yeah, they're all, they're all very, they're all characters <laughs> and stars of their own shows. My, my partner is like, when you talk about allyship, I think he he's done something that is an incredible thing for a person to do, for a white man to do, which is he's learned other languages. Mm. And not and not from a you know, not from a running start. Like he didn't grow up in foreign countries and mm. then and learn it naturally. He actually did the the study and the the diligence required to speak fluent Chinese, fluent Japanese, yeah. pretty passable Spanish. And you know, he can get by in Arabic mm. uh, and I think there's a, a real humility required to do that. It's yes. also like you have to park your arrogance, your white supremacy, and you have to really appreciate other cultures. So he's a great person to have as an ally. But I also must confess that there is a little bit of a um, Sydney Asian mafia <laughs> that, that steps up every time there's a shit show. <laughs> yeah. um, that kind of... Um, it's very unofficial, but it yeah. seems to always happen yeah. with a, with a quite a graceful pincer movement of love from various sources <laughs> in the Asian Sydney mafia to say, you know what, you're okay. What mm. you said was fine. Mm. What they said was fucked. Yeah, and, and you you did the right thing, and because sometimes you just want to check that you did do the right thing, um, and you need somebody to tell you that you're okay. Yeah. You know your choices were. What's your favourite record at the moment, Yumi? Um, I've been listening to Toby Nwigwe. Oh, I love him so much. I do, so beautiful. I, so beautiful. And, um, I just. I've been weeping, well. weeping, weeping. Cause so much, so we've lost so many people, like lots of black people, lots of people in my mum's family. So that I hope you find a way, like, you know, uh, it's my song for the year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, T-O-B-E, Toby yeah. Nwigwe, if you want to look up, look him up. Um, he does a lot of performing with his wife. And uh, it's just sort of, I don't know, this is such a daggy thing to say, but I feel 10% cooler when I listen to his music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I never get tired of Janelle Monae. I love her. Oh, yes. 
I saw uh, her at the Roundhouse in London with the queerest, hottest uh, crowd I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, this is living. A queer <laughs> black woman on the mic. So good. Like, and it was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to talk about mental health in our communities. And I'm like, <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> She's amazing. Uh, so I reckon those two artists will feed your spirit and your soul. Um, yeah. Podcasts, I've listened from the start to Song Exploder, mm-hmm. uh, which has been turned into a Netflix show. There's only four episodes out at the moment. But if you love music and hearing people really nerd out about music, then look up the mm-hmm. podcast and, um, and the TV show. Yes. Reading, I've, look, I'm slow at reading because I'm so distracted by my telephone, um, but I've really enjoyed Julia Gillard's book on leadership. Ah, yeah, yeah. And I've really, I'm really enjoying this one here, The, the Meaning of right. the Story. Ah, that is fun. So it's, the thing is, Candy, it's actually dead set serious. She ah. grew up with a black dad and a white mum Two yeah. siblings with the same parental kind of layout, but the two siblings were much darker skin than her. So mm. she was mistaken for white constantly, um, but really identifies as black. And her yeah. childhood is really fucked up and so interesting. So she's born this kid with a really interesting background, but also an almost superhuman talent at singing. So the story yeah. is, it's actually, I thought it would be camp and silly, but it's actually incredible. Serious. Yes. Yeah. Have you read um, She Begat This, 20 Years Since the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, Joan Morgan? I'm going to get you that for Christmas. Don't <laughs> buy it. I'm getting it for you and I'm writing in the front of it. Joan Morgan is so brilliant. She's a hip-hop historian. I think her, her first book was called When Chicken Heads Come Home to Roost. Nice. It's like... But the thing, what you're talking about is centralising us as experts and thought leaders. I'm pretty sure she only speaks, she majority speaks to women of colour as experts, editors, music people, etc. There's like one or two men of colour, maybe one white woman that she quotes from and she talks to about this era and how Lauren Hill started everything. We can't have yeah. Cardi or Rihanna without Lauren. It's so good. I think I read it in 20 minutes. It's like, <laughs> just like, and because you love the album and you think she was 24 and you, the controversies, but like Joan Morgan as a power force and a writer and essayist and everything, it just every, every piece of my, you know, big black queer heart was just like, yeah. So it's, it's very good. And I, I was going to say one thing we were just speaking to a moment ago about, um, what we watch. I had this amazing experience with my show One the Bear in Melbourne. So essentially One the Bear is a fantasy sci-fi built on working with kids from minority backgrounds and it became an allegory in lots of ways for Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, my matrilineal line and apartheid and freedom and all that's always bubbling under the bottom end of, of these stories I tell for kids. It's hip-hop theatre so it's wholly in rhyme and to beats and there's music and there's costumes and it's film clip on stage it's all these things but it's actually centrally about two black girls who are best friends they're bear best friends and it's a bear hunter society and all the fantasies there but it's actually about two black girls friendship the thing that I didn't see coming at all was the amount of teenage boys that lost their shit over it 
And so I have one friend who's got a huge blended family. So I knew the girls were going to love it. White and black in the family, white and Asian, I should say. And then um, and the little one, eight years old, saw the show once and can do all the lyrics of certain tracks and really connected to the, you know, like, but for the teenage boy, for the 16-year-old boy that pretty much only talks about Yeezys and surf, he convinced his stepfather to take him to see it again at the Sydney Opera House. He was blown away by it. And I was like, because he doesn't talk much, I'm like, I really need to know why. (laughs) Like, is it the beats, is it the music? He's like, yeah, and everything, everything, everything. So then I thought, you know, there's also the power of people that barely to rarely even see us or we're kind of invisible to when a story centralizes us and they come on that journey. It's pretty, it's pretty um, transformational. So that's why I'm like, I get it. And I almost feel like men, white men over a certain age, I'm like, yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Let's work with the children. <laughs> you know, um, damaged men. Sorry, bye. Um, so, so for for it's so critical right now that the people mm-hmm. who can um, back and it's backing like Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. He talks about it from years ago. It's critical to back people uh, who've been marginalised and centralise our stories right now. For on on every level, it's so critical for humanity, mm. for mm. the growth of the nation, for innovation, for creativity, and just for life force stuff. stuff, stuff. Multi-Hypho is hosted and created by Candy Bowers, recorded and produced by Christian Biko, supported by Linda Hurd and Arts Centre Melbourne, Creative Victoria, Darabin City Council, Bob Creative and Candy B. Big love to Senari Chandrani, Jingwa Chen and Karen Bravo. Multi-Hypho, getting comfy on the intersection since 2020. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yumi. <laughs> so beautiful Thanks having you. Me. <laughs> so beautiful Thanks having you. And I just loved you saying, bitch. I was <laughs> I was waiting for this moment and I always I'm always waiting for these moments and I'm waiting for the moment that we see have a script with both of our names on it. You know that. A comedy yeah, script or a drama and that we just Pitch it directly to the states. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for that. Yeah, I'm waiting for that moment. That moment will happen. <laughs> Thanks, Candy. See you later. Yeah. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Thanks, Christian. See you later.